So good evening, everybody. I hope everyone is doing well. So this is what we're going to do. We are finishing up chapter four. Last week, I said we were going to finish chapter four, but we didn't. So we are really there. I really don't foresee us not finishing today, but you never know. <laughs> you never know what where where it will take us. But um, we're gonna finish chapter four, and if we have time, we will um, move on to start chapter five. But we'll we'll take it we'll take it one step at a time. Okay, so this is what we're doing. This is where we are. We are in middle of this big discussion, right, with the tetragrammaton of Hashem Yud. Hey, Vav, hey. We spent the first part of chapter four explaining how the Yud and the Hey and the Vav and the Hey manifest in the um, spheros of Hashem, right? How Hashem manifests through this name of Hashem, right? The Yud and the Hey and the Vav and the Hey. Now we're talking about how this name of Hashem manifests and, you know, presents in our soul. Okay. So last class, we spent most of the time talking about the first group, right? It's split into two, right? We have the yod and the hay is the first set group. And then we have the vav and the hay. So we know that the yod, this is still a review. Okay. So we know that the yod represents chachma, right? It represents that tiny little flash of inspiration, a light bulb moment, a the beginning of, of, of a thought, of a journey, right? But it's not developed at all. You can't really grasp it. It's not tangible. It is all about just that getting it started, the flash. And now we're going to um, finish talking about the hey, the first hey in, the, in Hashem's name. And what that represents. We, we touched upon it and we are just wrapping up here. And um, we are going, one second, let me just check for a second. Yeah, Chachma. Yeah. Okay, so, so we have Chachma and then the hay represents Bina, right? Bina is that, that attribute of contemplation understanding, right? Like developing the thought, developing the Chachma. Basically, Bina is going to develop the Chachma. What does that do? What does that do for your soul? It's basically taking this Chachma, the super intellectual part of your brain, and you are um, associating it with an emotion, right? So we have this emotional affiliation with love and fear, with whatever subject at hand we're learning, okay? So you have to see, like, when you study, when you learn about Hashem in a particular way, what is emotion is that going to elicit in you? So in order for, an emo for in order for you to develop an emotion on a thought, what do you have to do? You have to think about, right? You have to contemplate on that thought long enough that it can create an emotion, right? We know this from the first part of Tanya, right? How do we create an emotion? Where does our emotions come from? Our, our thoughts, but they come with the process of meditation, 
right? So in order for your intellect to progress and move and become an emotion, you need to think about it. That's where the Bina comes in, that contemplation, that understanding, that meditation, right? So take any, in the first part of Tanya, we would, the, the Altareva gave us particular meditations to elicit particular emotions, if you remember, right? So we have certain ways we think about Hashem, right? Through love or through awe, right? And the more we would, give me one second, the more we would think about that thought of Hashem in that particular way, the higher chance we would have to create that emotion surrounding that thought. Harry, did you have a question? No. Okay, actually, let me just mute everybody because I don't want the background noise to get in the way. Perfect. Okay, if you have a question, please just unmute yourself and feel free. I just don't, when it's recording, the background noise makes it hard. Um, okay, so we have we have the Chachma, right? The intellect. We have the Bina, which is the understanding. What does the Bina do? The Bina creates the emotion, right? At first, it's a kind of this step-by-step -step process, right? We have the emotion of love and fear, right? Chesed and Gvura. And then the children of the Chesed and Gvura are the next um, emotion, uh, the next characteristics on that list, right? So we have Netzach, Dominance, Hod, Splendor, so Foundation. We don't go so much. We don't go so much into these particular um, emotions or these particular uh, attributes here in the Tanya, but it kind of just alludes to it, right? So what? So besides for okay, so for Bina, besides for Bina, basically expounding on that flash of inspiration that Chachma provides is also taking the intellect and bringing it into the realm of emotions, okay? That's also Bina's job. Bina's job is to contemplate, to develop the idea, to expound on it, to make it tangible, like we're actually thinking about something, right? Because we've all been in the, in the position where we have a thought, but it's not, we can't grasp it, right? It's elusive, like we can't really like sink our teeth into it. That's Bina. Bina takes that elusive thought and we think about it long enough to make it something graspable. But not only does Bina take this flash and make it something tangible, it also brings the intellect to the emotion. Okay? So for example, only when somebody has like a real solid comprehension or grasp on the greatness of Hashem, is he able to access this channel, right, between him and Hashem that provides for him this excitement and love as a result, right? So only if you think about, only if you think about the greatness of Hashem and create this connection, are you going to be able to tap into that love? right? Love, I, I know, contrary to what, you know, society wants to tell us is that love, love at first sight, or, you know, we, we throw around the word love so easily, but really love is an emotion that's created, that's 
thought about, that's contemplated on, that's developed, that, that grows, right? And we cannot grow that emotion of love without thinking about Hashem in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So um, therefore, what are we doing? We're channeling from above to below, right? From the intellect to the attributes, to the emotional attributes. And this happens specifically through Bina. So we're taking above to below. We're taking intellect to emotion. Bina is that channel which brings our intellect to our, and, and creates an emotion out of it. Really like, like powerful stuff. Like Bina is really, really important, right? And Bina is always um, a feminine energy, right? So just think about why, you know, Bina is a feminine energy because it's a feminine quality and energy to take something that's abstract, that's not really practical, that's kind of out there and bring it down to something that's tangible, bring it down to an emotional level, right? Like that's a feminine quality. So um, just something to think about. Okay, so why, why is it so important? Why is it so important for our intellect to come down and develop into emotion? Why can't it, why can't, what's wrong if it just stays intellectual? Any, any, tell me, Carrie. Nothing is happening. Yes. Nothing's you, happening. We're just Nothing idle. happens, right? Have you ever met those like super intellectual professors that are just in their own brain and kind of absent-minded and just kind of live in their own world, right? If you keep your intellect up here in your intellect, nothing happens, right? In order for us to have, to, for it to actually lead to service of Hashem, our emotion is what inspires action. You need to feel something to want to do something, right? Most of the time, I think obviously there's exceptions to the rule and obviously we sometimes do things even though we don't want to, right? But in general, if you want to have a positive service of Hashem, if you want your service of Hashem to be joyful, right? And to be exciting and not a burden and you don't want to resent it, you need to create that emotion around it. So emotion inspires action, right? So when we tap into the emotion of love, what action does that inspire? Giving, right? When we love something, we want to give to it, right? It's an outward expression. Um, when we contemplate like the divine emotion of or attribute of gvura, which is like power and strength, that results in the feeling of awe and fear, right? And that is also important for our service of Hashem, right? We need, we spoke about, again, in our first round of Tanya, we spoke about how an, a, a really healthy relationship, what is the foundation, what is the foundational aspect of a relationship? What needs to be first, love or respect? Respect. respect, right? Respect. Because without respect, there's nothing. You can throw love at someone all you want, but if you don't respect them, the love isn't going to land, 
right? It doesn't matter. Like if you don't treat someone with respect, you can say, but I love you. Okay, but that's not enough, right? The foundational, um, uh, it's not actually, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but the foundation of a relationship is respect. Same with Hashem, right? We need, we want to serve Hashem with love and we, we need to serve Hashem with love and we want to have a joyous relationship with Hashem, but first comes respect, right? And if, if you remember, we kind of had this like tower, like sandwich experience, right? We build a respect, which then follows by love, which then follows by another level of respect and then love and respect and then love and respect, right? There's all these different levels. We learned that in the first book of Tanya. So here, when we contemplate on the greatness and the power of Hashem, that gives us the foundation of respect, right? We respect Hashem enough to then produce love. And in order for our relationship, go me one second, Barbara, in order for our relationship to be actionable, you have to feel something. You can't just study about Hashem and learn about Hashem and leave it in your brain because then our service of Hashem is all about action, right? It's great to study and it's great to learn and it does amazing things for your soul. But if it doesn't lead to any action, it's not, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Yes, Barbara. So when you first say hold your new child okay you love them I don't know that respect comes into the equation yet okay that's a very good point I would agree with you I think when you first hold your baby the first emotion you're going to feel towards that baby is love Okay. But that's not a reciprocal relationship yet. Okay. As soon as your child gets a little older, if you love on that child, but don't respect them, if you don't treat that child with respect, but then you say, but I love you, it's going to be the same problem, right? It's not, it's not a man. That child is going to grow up with some serious issues, right? Because they're not, every person needs and needs respect. So I agree with you when you have this baby and your emotion is love, but it's a one way, it's a one way emotions at that point. It's just this natural, almost this like um, serotonin or whatever happens when, you know, your hormones and it's it's how Hashem makes sure that you're going to take care of that child, even when they're screaming, right? Like you have to feel that love. But as soon as that relationship turns into a reciprocal relationship, I still would say respect comes first. Well, as we're talking about it, I'm thinking that there you have to right from the beginning respect that they are an independent soul of you. Absolutely. That starts right at the beginning and you have to right. respect them enough to, you know, you know, keep them clean and keep them fed and keep them, you know, sometimes that doesn't necessarily you know, come solely out of love, right? Like sometimes we need to remember that, like you said, like they're a separate human, they deserve respect, right? Like it's a little bit harder to like put it in that way when they're infants, but even a toddler demands respect, right? A toddler's gonna push 
and they're gonna you're gonna have to show them that they're they have autonomy and they can make choices right like that's a really big developmental stage of a toddler so i think any relationship that we're talking about that's a reciprocal relationship that's that's reached that stage then um not to say love is not important it's extremely important to have love but if that love is without the respect the love is it's a problem right um same thing with you know friendships and you know i mean any relationship that some relationships don't include love at all right like maybe a boss employer employee relationship is just about respect right but even but if a relationship requires love i still think respect has to be the foundation because it allows for a healthy love a love without respect is really unhealthy it's probably narcissistic it's probably you know what i mean it's not about the other person at all right so same thing relationship sorry to interrupt you go ahead shouldn't our relationship be a little bit different towards Hashem than with the the rest of the world. Absolutely, but we because like we're in human. comparison because whether it's like we like Barbara was talking about have you know a baby. Yeah, well, I think if I understand your question, because you're kind of freezing up a little bit, I think if if we we of course our relationship with Hashem is is different than a human relationship. But because we're human, sometimes it helps to give context like with our personal relationships that are physical, right? So if we're, I think it's like, and how much more so if our physical relationships require respect as a foundation, how much more so does God's? Does that make sense? How much more so? Like, so it's not like, the relationship with Hashem, we lost her. Hopefully she'll come back. It's not that the relationship with Hashem is exactly like a human physical relationship, but it gives us a little context because we're human. So we're going to operate with that human kind of drive, right? So it just helps us like if, if, a, if a human relationship needs respect, how much more so does Hashem's? I think that's how we look at it. Okay. So, um, so this drawing down of the intellect into the attributes, um, to, to the emotional attributes, hi, I'm glad you're back, um, have like several stages, right? So we, we've been through the stages, like it's not like it happens automatically, right? Because so first, um, the first stage happens in our mind right? We have the chachma, the thought comes to our mind, right? And then we grasp this intellectual angle of the idea, right? That this is fascinating. We, before we even create the love, we first understand intellectually that it would be beneficial to have a love for Hashem. Isn't that fascinating? So first, before you can even create the love, you have to recognize that there's a value in loving Hashem. Right, because if you don't see the point of it, what's going to make you actually spend time to do it? So you first, it starts in your brain. Then you think about it enough, right, that it makes sense for you to create a love for Hashem. It's a good idea, right? Um, then this, then the second stage happens in the 
inner recesses of your heart, right? And this is the groundwork for that emotional process, right? And the emotional process happens through internalizing the intellectual idea, right? You create the emotion through internalizing the thoughts that you're having, right? They don't just stay thoughts, they get internalized in your heart, right? Then at this stage, the thought that he's contemplated becomes an emotion, right? But the emotion is still an emotion, right? It's still here. It didn't lead to action yet. There's a stage between creating the emotion, right? Loving Hashem, and then doing something about that love, which would be doing a mitzvah, studying Torah, right? So the so you have the the thought, you have the internalization of the thought, then you have the emotion that that internalization that creates, right? Then he's aware of his mood and um, emotion that's affected by this stage that he's in, right? That makes that emotion more revealed, right? And when that emotion becomes like, raw emotion of love and fear, right? Then it becomes an action. Right? So do you do you understand the trajectory of how this happens? These are all really important parts to the puzzle. And if we're missing one of these parts, we don't end up at the action. Or if we just go straight, what happens if we would go straight to the action? I want to just, it's not in the Tanya, I just want to pose that thought. It's on the, this chapter of Tanya. It is in Tanya. What happens if you go straight to the action without, without any of the process? You're not developing emotions. Right. You are doing an action. And you get credit for the action. But is that action going to be sustainable? Are right. you going to be motivated to do that action time and time again if you skip the, the internalization part? You won't, right? It'll be like a one-time thing. You can get super inspired. Let's say you go to like a really insp inspirational, motivational speaker, right? We've all, I'm sure we've all experienced this, right? Whether it's health or weight loss or, or mind or mindfulness, right? We go to a really inspirational speaker and we get inspired and we do the thing, right? How long is that thing going to last if you actually didn't go through the steps of thinking about it, internalizing it, making it, creating that emotion that comes with it and then doing the action, right? Like then it's gonna, it's gonna be part of your life. It's gonna be something that you really are committed to and you know why you're doing it and you know how it feels and it's worth it to you. But any action that comes just from a flash of inspiration or just like being on a high, right? Like new year resolutions. How, what's the statistics to new year resolutions, right? They don't last because they're not being done methodically and they're not going through that internalization process. It's more like, oh my God, I knew you don't have to lose 10 pounds. So I'm going to make it happen. Right. But it's not sustainable that way. So that internal work, yes, the end, the most important part of this process is the action. The end result is the, it, at the end of the day, the most important part. But in order to make that action sustainable and not just a one-time or a two-time thing, this process is really important, okay? So um, 
basically what it does when we go through this process of contemplation and then the emergence of the revealed emotions, what that does is it makes your service authentic. It makes your divine service authentic. Without that, you're doing a good thing. No one's going to take that away from you, right? If you light Shabbos candles that one time, that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But does that create an authentic relationship between you and Hashem if it's just once? In that moment, you have a relationship with Hashem. But in order to create an authentic, lasting, consistent relationship with Hashem, that process needs to be part of it. It can't just be coming from this inspirational aspect. It's like the long, short way, right? To do it, to, to create those emotions through meditation, to create those emotions through contemplation, and to, to develop those emotions enough to motivate you to want to act is a long process, okay? So, but it's a lasting one. So in the end, it's worth it. But we know also from Tanya that sometimes we don't have time for the long process, right? We need to... We need to serve Hashem right now in the moment. We need to get motivated to serve Hashem. So then we have, you know, the, the instant processes that help us do the thing when we need to do them. But always in the background, that 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 longer process needs to be playing, right? Sometimes you need to jump in and have a flash of inspiration and just get you to do the thing. Yes, it doesn't take away that at the same time you're working on your authentic, lasting relationship. Okay. So true devotion, true devotion to anything, but here we're talking about Hashem, but you can apply this to anything. True devotion stems from a deeply internal place. True devotion can't come from a superficial relationship, right? You can think about anything in your life, anything that you're really connected to, anything that matters to you, anything that's lasted comes from a very internal piece of you. It's not superficial, right? Um, and the most authentic divine service is when a person learns Torah and does mitzvahs, okay? That is the most authentic way to serve Hashem. I know it's very popular now, and I also, I understand it. I'm not judging it and I'm not putting it down. I'm bringing it in perspective. It's very popular to say things like, I feel really connected to Hashem. I'm very spiritual. He doesn't really care whether I do this thing or I can serve Hashem when I'm in nature and I feel so connected to Hashem, right? That might be true. But if you want to connect to Hashem in the most authentic internal way, Hashem says that's done through Torah and mitzvahs. That is done when you choose to, to study my will, right? We know what Torah is. Torah is Hashem's innermost will. When you choose to merge yourself with my innermost will, and when you choose to light those Shabbos candles or to eat a kosher sandwich or to, um, what's another good example? Put on for, uh, you know, put on tefillin, right? Give tzedakah. Give tzedakah, right? That is the most um, 
authentic way to serve Hashem. Mitzvahs, Torah, right? Um, and when you perform a mitzvah, right? It, what is that show? What is that emoting? What are you showing when you perform that mitzvah, right? That in the depth of your being, you love Hashem and you yearn to fulfill his will and become attached to him, right? And again, let's use our personal physical relationships in this world, right? When you love someone, what do you want to do? When you truly love someone from a deep place, not a, not a superficial place, you want to make them happy, right? You want to make them happy. And to make someone happy, you have to do what they want you to do, not what makes you feel good, right? It's like saying to Hashem, like, I really want to make you happy, but I'm going to do it my way. Like, I'm going to do it my way. Like, I... I don't need to do what you want me to do, but let me, I have my own way of connecting with you. So yes, Hashem loves all of us no matter what, but if we want to be honest with ourselves and we want to really connect and show love to this other, um, you know, piece of the relationship, the other party of the relationship, you need to, like, you know how we talk about like love languages, right? Why is it so important to know your partner's love language? Because if you're, if you love, let's say your love language is gifts and your partner's love language is acts of service, right? And you keep bestowing upon your partner gifts because that's what you love. Is he feeling loved? Not really. I mean, he knows it's coming from a good place. He probably appreciates that you're trying, right? But are you taking the time to really understand what your partner wants? So I feel like it's very like, this is how we make Hashem's relationship tangible to us, right? So when we serve Hashem and say, Hashem, I love you so much. I'm going to take a hike in the mountains and I'm going to think about you, right? Does Hashem appreciate that? Absolutely. But is it really about Hashem when you do that? Not so much. It's probably about makes you feel really good, right? Like taking that hike makes you feel really good. So how could you do, how could you take that hike that makes you feel good, but also do what Hashem wants you to do? Tanya tells us what to do. You meditate on the greatness of Hashem, right? You meditate on the awesomeness of Hashem that creates all of nature. And you take a minute and you say a blessing right? You elevate the space around you. So you're doing, you're showing Hashem love in a way that he is, he, he appreciates it. Right. And that I think is just really important for us to understand, like in, in this generation, that's really not something that is very accepted. Right. We all want to do what makes us feel good. We want to be authentic to ourselves. We want to know and understand that you know, I don't want to do anything that's not about me, right? But if you think about it, a relationship requires a little bit of selflessness. A relationship requires a little bit of your ego, putting it aside, and really, what does my partner want, right? What does my parent, what does my sister, what does, what does God want? How do I make God feel loved? And we don't do, we don't, 
do that so much in this generation. Like it's, it's a little bit of a lost, you know, and it's, and it's loaded because religion carries a lot of, you know, weight and, you know, layers of a lot of emotion. So it's a little bit hard to go there, but in this, you know, kind of innocent discussion, it's, we can look at it from an, an objective point of view. And I think it makes us, makes a lot of sense, right? How do we show someone love in the way that they want to be loved, right? And hopefully it's reciprocated, right? Hopefully our partner loves us the way we want to be loved, right? And Hashem, we know already that Hashem knows what's best for us and gives us what we need, right? That we know. And we're actually going to talk about that in a few chapters about everything that Hashem does is good. We're we're talking about that in our Sunday Tanya class, but right, but it's going to come back in this part, book of Tanya too in a couple chapters. Okay, so um, we want to connect to Hashem. We want to love Him. We want Hashem to know that we we love Him, and so we want to love Him in the way that He asks us to. How? What is that way? Torah mitzvos. Okay, it's not like. Sometimes we get so lost in our journey and connection to Hashem. And we've all experienced that, I'm sure. Like sometimes we're so lost and we're like, we don't even feel anything anymore, right? But if we come back to Torah mitzvahs, like that's what it's about. It kind of gives us our direction again. So maybe it'll take time to be re-inspired. Maybe we have, you know, like there's a lot to it. But sometimes just focusing on the basics right? I know what Hashem wants from me. Torah mitzvahs can bring us back to center, to groundedness, right? Okay. So then, so that was the yod and that was the hey, right? We have the yod, which is the chachma, and we have the hey, which is the bina, right? And then we have the vav, which is the six attributes, right? It's the Bina going into the six attributes. <coughs> Excuse me. Right? And then we have the final hey, which is what? We touched upon it last class. Malchus, right? Um, what's the word we use for a manifestation, right? Or what is, what's the word we use for Malchus? <coughs> Do you remember? Oh my gosh, I'm choking on myself because I have really bad allergies. Um, what's the word we use for malchus? Help me out here. I'm going to find it. One second. Wasn't it two words that you used and you said you liked using those two words? Yeah. Yeah. Now I can't remember what they were. Me neither. <laughs> um, one second. One second. One second. Malchus. Yeah. Okay. The definition of malchus is has no substance. Yeah. Okay. So malchus is um, like the expression, right? The the uh, manifestation or the tangible. It's taking the the, the six act emotional attributes and like 
why can't I find the word I'm looking for? It's like the, the practical, the practical manifestation of all the emotional attributes, right? So Malchus has no substance of its own. It's just whatever is brought out through Malchus. I'm going to look it up because I'm driving myself crazy with the word I'm looking. Oh, Malchus. Actualization. Okay, it's actualizing all the emotions. Had it written down right here. How cool. Okay, it's actual, actualizing all the ideas and the emotions. Without Malchus, even the emotions wouldn't be like revealed or manifested. The emotions would stay here. They wouldn't lead to action. Malchus is the is that all your ideas and your thoughts and your emotions leading to action, right? That's what Malchus is. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So, so as we know before, so as we know before, Havaya has two parts, right? Yud and He and Vav and He, right? We have the concealed aspect, concealed, and we have the revealed. Right, we have the first yud and the hay, which is the internal concealed aspect, and then we have the revealed slash external aspect is the second vav and hay. Okay, so how do we get from here the internal to the external? Right, how do we move from the internal to the external? And this transition is the one of the most crucial aspects of our divine service, right? Probably even more important than the contemplation itself is the transition from the internal to the external. Why do you think that that's the most important? We know why. Because if everything stays inside, you're not, what are you doing down here in this world? You're not affecting any change, right? You're not doing anything. So it's very, very important that the internal move to the external, okay? So our ability to complete the name of Havaya, to go from here to here, right? We have to break through the walls within ourselves, the screen within ourselves to reveal the concealed powers, okay? And we have to basically have this internal communication that allows for the, our inner to influence our outer, okay? We have to make our inner turn into a practical reality, right? That is the transition from the inner or the outer. We need to have that inner dialogue and we need to break through those walls because they could be, there could be a lot of walls inside us that stop us from doing what we need to do. Have, has anyone experienced that, right? We all experience the walls of our own doing that prevent us from doing what we need to do. And usually those walls are what? Where do walls come from? Fear, 
right? Usually walls are from fear. So we need to be able to have that inner dialogue to break down that walls and make our inner being influence our outer self and create that outer self. Okay. Um, and what that does is that when we, it says here, the ability to write, as it were, the name of Havaya, right? So we're able to basically write our destiny, right? Our name of Havaya, which is the actual name of God in one, basically we take the actual name of God, which is what? Our soul. We now know our soul is the actual name of God. That's why we're having this whole discussion, right? The actual name of God, which is our soul, and bring it into the world we live in. Not keep it in here, but bring it out into the world we live in. So in conclusion to this section, in conclusion is we take our soul, which is the name of Havaya, right? This is what we spent all these weeks talking about, how the, our soul is the reflection of Hashem's name, right? Our soul is the name of Havaya, but we don't want to just leave it in our soul. We want to bring that name Havaya into the world. How do we do that? Torah mitzvos. Bringing your, creating your emotions enough to influence our actions. Okay? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Any questions? Any questions so far? We're about to finish the chapter. Perfect timing. So any questions before we just wrap it up? No. Okay. If you do, let me know. Now, we now know that um, the name of Havaya, right? We demonstrated how the spheros, Hashem's spheros are manifested through the name of Havaya, right? Hashem's process, how he created the world, how he created us, right? All came through this name of Havaya, right? So we now know how Hashem's spheros are, are um, manifest through Havaya, we now know how the human soul is manifest through Havaya, right? You're with me? And then there's a third thing that's manifest through Havaya, and that's the Torah. Okay? So a similar process occurs with the name of Havaya that manifests Torah as well. Okay? So... Um, Can I ask you something? Yeah, go ahead. Isn't the Torah God in speak in 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 writing? Yeah, yeah. That's why it's also man. That's why Torah is also manifest through Havaya, right? Because it is Hashem's will manifests outwardly, right? So it's the same process. So we now know that the spheros are our soul and the Torah all are manifest through Havaya, okay? And they all go through these, these four phases that we just discussed, okay? And then we're gonna review the four phases in a nutshell so you have it clear in your head what the four phases are, okay? Are you ready? Yud, the point of nothingness or constriction, right? That's Yud. The first hey, internal expansion, 
right? That's Bina. Second, um, so not second, Vav, Vav, channeling downward, which is the six emotional attributes, right? And the final hey, which is the expansion and revelation below, that's Malchus. Right? So all these weeks that we spent, the Yod and the Hey and the Vav and the Hey, we now can kind of say it in a sentence, right? Yod, constriction. Hey, expansion. Vav, down, channeling downward. Hey, revelation. Do we get the process? Any questions? Do we need to repeat it? Yeah. Yod, constriction, nothingness, right? Hey, Bina, understanding, expansion. Vav, six emotional attributes, right? Drawing downward into our heart, right? And then hey, revelation, taking our emotions and making them into action. Right? Okay. Now, um, the, these, this principle is going to keep coming up for us in the following chapters. So just keep it in the back of your head, like th this kind of trajectory of how our process works, how our relationship with Hashem works, how everything starts in our intellect and leads to action, that process is gonna come up multiple times, okay? We, but we now know that as a foundation. Right, we now have the foundation of how our process works, right? Now, um, the name, this is where it really relates to Igaris HaTshuva, right? Remember, we're talking about Tshuva, returning to Hashem. We got way sidetracked with the name of Avaya, but now we're going to remember why we talked about it in the begin, in, in, to begin with in this one last final sentence of the chapter. The name of Havaya should never be separated. Okay? It should always be together. That process, we should never have one without the other. The name of Hashem should never be separated. Okay? Sin separates the letters. And repentance unites them. So when we sin, we are separating the name of Hashem. Okay? But when we repent, they're reunited. And that is why we needed to know in depth what this name of Hashem represents. Because if we don't know the magnitude of our actions, if we don't realize that when we sin, we are breaking apart the name of Hashem, which we now know what that, mean, know what that means, right? Then how do we know how to return? How do we know what we're coming back to, right? We needed to know what we're breaking to know how to return to what we're breaking. So when we sin, the name of Hashem gets separated, right? And exiled. And when we return, we reunite that name of Hashem. And we're going to expound on that in the next chapter. Okay, but do you see how we come full, full circle? How we now, like, we spend so much time and a lot of abstract stuff, mind you, um, 
about discussing this name of Havaya. Like, why? Why did we spend so many weeks doing that? It's because we needed to understand the cosmic effects of what we do down here. Not only we're breaking the name of Havaya up here, we're breaking the name of Havaya in our soul, right? And everything's separated, and then the connection is lost, right? If you break apart this, this trajectory and this process, then something gets stuck somewhere, right? The energy can't flow. If one of these pieces are out of whack, the energy isn't flowing, right? So when we sin, we block energy. We block godly energy from flowing where it needs to flow. When we repent, we, re we, re we repair that, right? So it's not a lost cause, but we need to understand what we're doing and how we're doing it. And that's where we're up to. Okay, so any questions? Um, um, I just want to also, in a nutshell, because in the in the Chaim Miller um, Tanya, it actually summarizes the two parts of Havayan in a very nice way. So I'm just going to read it to you as just another thought. So these the two processes, right? We have the Vav and the Hay. I mean, the Yod and the Hay and the Vav and the Hay, right? The, these two processes. A, the first two letters of the name. Um, Sorry, 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 sorry. There's two processes to the second part of the name of Hashem, right? We have the Yud and the He, which is the internal process. The external process can be broken into two. Though that too is the emotional expression followed by the practical worship, okay? So that's the second part of Hashem's name. The external process is broken into the emotional expression and the practical worship, right? The vav is the emotional expression. The hay is the practical worship. Okay? Any questions? If anything isn't clear, please speak up. The very last part. It was just, I just repeated. I could have left it alone, but I just repeated that you know, we have the first part of Hashem's name is the internal process, right? The intellectual process. And the second part of the, of the name of Hashem is the external process. The external process, is, process starts with the emotional expression, right? Tapping into the emotion and then which leads to the action. Okay, it was just another way of saying what I said before. Okay, are you ready for meditation? Okay, let's do it. This was too quick. I know, class just flies by, it really does. Okay, deep inhale or just, or a, whatever, a nice inhale while your eyes are still open. And when you exhale, gently close your eyes. Inhale. And exhale. When you inhale, visualize your heart opening up, accepting the light of Hashem, our connection, our love. And when you exhale, just let go of any negative messaging, narratives, anything that doesn't serve you, that isn't enhancing your relationship with Hashem, just let it go. Okay, so every time we inhale, Expansion, love, acceptance. Exhale, let go of anything negative. Inhale, 
Exhale. Inhale. And exhale. Two more times. Inhale. And exhale. Okay, I want you to take a minute and think about this wonderful process we just discussed of connecting to Hashem. And this process that starts in our mind that goes into internalization of the thought, which then goes to an emotion that we create, a love and a respect of Hashem. And once we love and respect Hashem so much, and it's authentic and it's deep and it's internal, we want to act on it. And how do we act on that love and that respect? By studying Torah and mitzvahs. And that, in a nutshell, describes our service and our relationship with Hashem from the start to the end. And I want you to take a minute without, I'm going I'm to stop talking. I want you to take a minute and think about this process. Think about, you know, where in this process do you get stuck? Where in this process would you like to grow? What part of this process needs your attention? And just, there's no right or wrong. We're all on a journey. We're all on our own unique journey of connection to Hashem. So just take a minute and just kind of reflect where you are at. And where do you want to be? Bring your attention back to your breath. We'll do two more rounds. Nice inhale. Open yourself up. Stretch. And exhale. Let it go. Any stress. Any stuckness. Inhale. And exhale. Let your breath return to its just natural rhythm. Don't effort too hard. Just let it be. Come back to the physical space that you're in. Wiggle your fingers and toes. And you can gently open your eyes. When you're ready, no rush. I'm going to stop the recording right here.